Hi, I'm Conan Tobias, the editor-in-chief and publisher of Tattle Creek. I'm here today with Alfred Holden, frequent and regular contributor to the magazine. Hi, Alfred. Hi there. Uh, Alfred, in 1999, you wrote a story for the magazine called This Fabulous Place. It was an ode to uh, apartment houses in the annex and uh, St. George Street in particular. And I wanted to talk a bit today about apartment houses and kind of the changing face of apartment houses uh, in this same area. It's been 16 years since you wrote that piece, and a lot has changed since then. A lot started to change not long after uh, you wrote that story. Um, your 1999 piece opened with a photo of uh, an architect's model of 206 St. George Street, and that happens to be the building we're in today. It was not Tallow Creek's headquarters at the time, but it became headquarters not too long after that. And as we're sitting here in October 2015, uh, there's a lift out in the front of the building as the landlord gets ready to replace the kind of unique window system on the front of the building. Tell us a bit about the what you know of the, the windows on this building at 206. Well, when this building was, uh, was constructed, it was one of the first apartment buildings in the downtown annex area. And the area, the era after the, in the post-war period, there was a lot of experimentation with new materials and designs. And uh, the term that was used to describe that wall system that is still, still hanging there is called curtain wall. I think a lot of people will have heard that term, but basically it means that there was just this thin uh, system in which uh, a frame was applied to the wall of the building. Uh, panels were put into it. And it all just hung there on the sides of the building that it doesn't support anything. When this building was being designed, the architect who was a young U of T graduate named Wilfred Schulman, he uh, would have been seeing advertising in the architecture magazines, the Canadian Architect, or I think it was called the Royal Architectural Architectural Journal of Canada, something similar to that he would have been reading articles about all these new systems. And he would have been inundated with uh, uh, junk mail, which was uh, the era's word for what we call spam, uh, showing how they worked and uh, what, you know, how they could be used on projects that they were working on. And in fact, uh, this building was used as, uh, in one of those advertising for a company called Hilsolate, so we know the brand name of this material, which consists of a metal frame and glass panels, dark opaque panels, and then regular glass windows. Mm -hmm. So kind of that's the way it fits in the front of the building here. You get your windows, and then in between each floor, there's kind of a a bluish tinted panel, and it all kind of pieces together. Right. And it, I, I it, think part of the problem they're having right now, it's been, that lift's been out there for a few months. I think they're realizing that it, how how it all fits together and it's not as easy as just replacing windows in a normal building and it's kind of taking a bit longer. Uh, that's right. And uh, this is a not, a not uncommon problem on much newer buildings when they put up the same sorts of glass curtain walls. They're all interconnected pieces. And if you take out one piece, well, the next piece is in trouble. And I think that's probably what they're finding. Mm -hmm. So the 50, the 60 year old building, I think it would be it, uh, maybe 62 years or so. Yeah, this building's 1954. So weather has taken its toll. These systems were unproven in their day. And the many, many great promises were made for their permanence, which may or may not have been fulfilled. Uh, 62 years is a long time for a, a wall. A brick wall will last a, a good deal longer, uh, you would think. 
Uh, although on the east side of Canadian buildings, in case any of the listeners are, you know, you may notice that the east side of buildings really takes a beating, and even brick spalls and the 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 uh, mortar falls out. So it's a tough job to put a curtain wall on the east side of an apartment house. Mm-hmm. So I mean, as we were talking about a bit earlier, you know, um, it's been 16 years since you wrote that story in the magazine. A lot of the buildings on the street have since passed the the half century mark. Um, so we're seeing a lot of uh, needed repairs on the buildings and with those needed repairs uh, there are new codes to be met uh, things that need major things that need replacing and as a result we're seeing a lot of changes in the architecture of these buildings so I mean with uh, in the case of this building you know without question the look of this building is going to change pretty uh, significantly uh, when that curtain wall is removed and this is something we've seen a lot of um, in the past decade or more um, I think we one of the first times I think we saw it it's probably 44 Walmer Road around the corner from here, uh, which was an Uno pre-building. Um, and in 2001, it was it was always known for its... Balcony railing. It's, it's Miami, fancy, Miami yeah. flourish, I think we used to call it. Yes. Um, it had these very interesting circular uh, the metal... I don't know I don't know what to call it. It was a flare on the front of the balconies. It's, very, it's, a, very, it's a very flare building, Uno pre-style. And um, I assume they were doing balcony repairs in 2001. They had to raised the balcony up for code. They they took out uh, these round, this round frontage on the balconies and just put on tinted glass, and it completely changed. And I would somewhat argue, I would argue, ruined the look of the building. I know you had some interaction with the architects at the time. Well, they faced two. These are these the owners of these buildings face two sort of a fork in the road. One route will be to just take do the quick and dirty. Or just respond to your own taste and say, okay, we're just, I like tinted glass and we're putting it on. Uh, or just do the quick and dirty across from 44 is 35 Walmer Road, where they just use corrugated metal panels to replace the original balcony railings. And it's only a few years ago, maybe 10 or 12 years ago, uh, that they did that. And now they've hired uh, an architect to see how they could give the building more bling. And one of the suggestions he has had is replace the railings with something more uh, respectful of the building, the original style of the building. So they face this choice, quick and dirty, or do something that is more respectful. I don't know if the cost is always that much different. Sometimes it's the the, the determinant is the mind of the, the owner or the property manager. Um, but the issue that really comes to mind is the integrity of the original architecture. And uh, a lot of people, when a building gets old, they don't necessarily see it as very interesting or they see it as out of date but a lot of these buildings were built after the war into a a pretty strict modernist style and they looked pretty fresh at the time and one way of dealing with them is to try and respect that and freshen them up so in my essay one of the things I had tried to do all those years ago was sort of plant the seed that these buildings were a, a valid pieces of architecture and that to treat them well would be to uh, both enhance the life of the building, make them more attractive to prospective tenants, and perhaps make them more profitable. If you didn't have to do these things over and over, cheap and quick and dirty, you could do a good job once every generation or so on renovations. Mm-hmm. This uh, same developer that you, I think you're talking about with 35 Walmer worked on 100 Spadina as well? So that's well, the we're, same we're, one? Uh, the Architects, yeah, uh, the architect. which is actually an ERA uh, architects, so a very um, progressive company in, mm-hmm. in my opinion but what they've done is they they took 100 spadina which is another building by the by uno pre the, the kind of the miami style architect of toronto and they uh 
had to replace the balcony railings on that building. That was the the program that had to do that. And, that was, and, that was just, and this wasn't just balcony railings in this building. This was something very different from a lot of the other buildings in the neighborhood. It was That's right. These were masonry blocks, railings right? made with a very special kind of uh, decorative uh, cast concrete block. Very difficult to replace and also prone over time to water damage and freeze thaw and spalling, break pieces break off. So... Uh, the alternative, there are three choices. One is just do a quick and dirty, and the other is to do the original, which was not terribly feasible, from what I understand. And then there was the third choice, which was ERA recommended, was to take the original design and find a way to apply it to another material so that the look of the building when you stood back was unchanged, or even more polished, finally, as a form of uh, updating, but also maintenance that polished the building up to make it more attractive to prospective renters. And they chose that route, and it turned out rather well. What did they actually do? They put a, a glass railing in that is not too dissimilar to the other replacement railings that are going on buildings. But they ordered a pattern embossed in it that is exactly like the original railing design. So it's a kind of a cross with a hole in it mm -hmm. i would call that and uh, if it's applied across the whole building up close it looks different but when you're at some distance from the building it looks the same yeah we just actually walked by and yeah if you're just even across the street uh it does not look that different from Munapri's original design they pulled it off which is interesting uh, and you could argue detail points of it, but they did a pretty good job preserving the overall look of the building. And I would say over time, if, if it doesn't acquire... One of the advantages of this is that it won't take on a kind of Sputnik look where you apply this and you apply that, you stick this on, you stick that on, and finally you have a mess. Like we did we did see on a, on a walk we went on today, it was, uh, a lot of buildings have electrical conduit that's just sort of stuck on here and there where suddenly somebody wants a lamp. After a while, it looks pretty bad. Mm -hmm. But of the you know of the, of the two pre buildings that we just walked by, if we're looking at 100 Spadina and 44 Walmer, uh, 100 Spadina certainly has kept the integrity of Pre's building, where 44 Walmer unfortunately will never look like that again. At this point, it's kind of impossible to go backwards right. on that one. I think 44 Walmer was kind of the case study of how bad things can be, mm -hmm. and how the results really don't support the goal of of the landlord or property manager to have a property that is alluring in some way that will allow people to justify walking up to the to the, the lobby and buzzing the super and saying, I'd like to look at an apartment here. So that building of, of, of 44 Walmarts would show up in architectural books. It would just it was it was a it was a showpiece. It was a showpiece for the city in a lot of ways. There are not many buildings that look like that. It was probably the most liked Ono pre building. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if anybody's listening has never heard of Uno Pri, who was an Estonian architect who came to Toronto, was a very young man, studied at U of T. And after the war, instead of building square boxes with glass panels in them, he built more sculptured kinds of structures and has kind of a cult following among several generations. I mean, very young people seem to find out about him and look at his buildings and, and go and rent apartments in his buildings. So uh, you had a personal experience with this right across the street from where we are now. Uh, there are two other uh, interesting apartment houses, 177 St. George, uh, which is currently undergoing some minor tweaking. 
169 St. George, which is was at one point my favorite building on the street. It was the building I aspired to live in. I don't now, and partially because of what happened when you lived there many years ago. Uh, just, I guess maybe tell us a bit about what happened uh, on the the window renovation there back right. in what, 1999? Around then, there was it happened in several phases, and we saw the writing on the wall and left before it had been completely finished. But this is a building that was designed by... One of, the, one of the marquee firms of the city, Krang and Bulk, back when they were very young men, George Bulk and George, uh, uh, Krang and Bulk, George Bulk and James Krang. And, this is a 1958 building. Right, and they were young Turks, you might say, really eager young men who were modernists, and they had a, had a, had a client who didn't care what they did, so they did what they liked, and they came up with a, what became kind of a, a landmark modernist building in Toronto with glass walls, very low window sills, and they used this rolled steel window framing that was very, very slim and created a wonderful sheer flatness inside. So you'd be in these apartments, and the windows would go all the way across uh, into the corners. Because the corner support beams were on the outside, right. on the balcony, so there was just glass corners all the way right. around, no no corners, just glass so much light, doors. Just beautiful, as I recall. And the effect was great. And when it became, when these buildings became old, the effect actually was it was really cool because they were of another time, and yet they were so cool and modern. The issue with these buildings was uh, single pane glass that uh, is harder to heat, and with high energy prices, there was always a search for strategies to fix this. So, back in the eighties, a lot of apartment buildings replaced uh, their single pane rolled steel framed windows with um, what we call bottom sliders. It's kind of a trademark Toronto window where you have a pane of glass, double pane glass, and then you have these two panes on below that slide. One of them slides across and you get this small opening. They're really not very pretty. Uh, they have their own maintenance issues in time. So this building, unfortunately, had more of this rolled steel glass than just about any other building in Toronto. And uh, eagerly window uh, replacement firms uh, would be they would be seen up and down the street and this building was a prize to get and one one winter it began to happen that uh, in phases the building's windows were being replaced at first they were actually putting in opaque panels in place of, of glass and residents and I was disclosure here I was one of those residents we gathered we gathered up opinions and signatures and we challenged the rent, uh, what was called in the day, but rent review. We went to rent review seeking a reduction in rent due to loss of light and window. So this put the project on hold for a few years. Either that or perhaps there was some financial constraint, but the project stopped for a while. And But finally it proceeded and the building really lost a lot of its panache. There are alternatives that uh, landlords could could undertake to make their buildings more energy efficient. There's other windows styles. One of the buildings we saw today was 74 Spadina, and they chose a more high-end route to replace their windows, and I think the results are way more attractive, and I think there's value in that. Like, in the long run, there's value for landlords in a building that has solid-looking, attractive hardware and infrastructure. So 169 really got hit hard, and it hasn't looked the same ever since. And I think it still has a following, but it doesn't draw people like young students who come to the city and say, what's that about? Which is how a lot of us originally got to live there. 
think it was called by Patricia McHugh in her book, Toronto Architecture, a, a nice sort of long a, a summary of many hundreds of buildings. She called it the best, among the best small apartment houses in Toronto, and that was 169, and that got a lot of us to live there. It was a pretty incredible building in its day. So, I mean, obviously there's a lot of financial issues in doing these repairs when people are forced to do repairs and there's code to come up uh, to come up to and they're just looking at the cost of replacing things like balconies and windows obviously landlords are taking finances into account at the same time and i guess we've we've, we've been touching on this a lot but let's just get down to the actual question question that you've po- you've written a, little, about, a lot about this over the years and you posed the question once are buildings art so i guess my question um i guess i'd like you to answer that question from three perspectives are buildings art, and how does how does changing the face of these buildings uh, affect both one the streetscape, um, affect the art of the building itself, and how does it affect the people that are inside the building? And should we should is this an issue? Should people care about this? Oh, I'm I'm guessing a lot of people don't. A lot of people will just look at the well, that's what it costs. I don't really care what it looks like. The streetscapes will change over time, but what's the actual cost here from an, an art and architectural point of view? I try to come at this very gently because personally I strongly believe that architecture is art and I have long cultivated or experienced an appreciation of the integrity of buildings as the architects have designed them. So so I I guess what I'm saying is that I think there's a subliminal effect that a well-maintained building has on people and that I'm basically arguing that these buildings be treated with respect over time and not uh, used as pin cushions for whatever new technology appears or whatever the taste of some distant or uncaring owner might be. It says, I, I like orange glass with polka dots, and that's what we're getting. Sometimes that's what it comes to, and it may not be a financial issue. When it comes to being a financial issue, I've often sort of argued uh, along the lines of my, my father, who is a very a kind of a, a very shrewd New England Yankee, who has driven cheap cars all his life, but put expensive roofs on his house. So we have copper roofs on our porches and slate roofs on, on the main house, where the family homestead where they live. These actually have cost us less over the long run than all the cheap things that people do with asphalt shingles and rolls roofing. So I kind of argue for treating, in favor of treating apartment houses this way. Uh, it's perhaps a bit of a leap for some people, but some of the buildings up and down St. George and in the annex are actually pretty cool buildings from a design point of view. And when they were new, they were as fresh and exciting as some of the new condos with uh, fancy names that are going up uh, at every corner or every old parking lot in downtown Toronto. These buildings were once those buildings. Uh, And my basic argument over the years has been that treat them well and they will probably last longer be more appealing to uh, tenants uh, and uh, generate lower bills in the long run. Like the uh, railings at 35 uh, Walmer, one of the Uno Pre buildings, the corrugated railings were only put on about 10 or 15 years ago, and now they're looking at replacing those because the building just looks so shabby. So in a, in a nutshell, it's the, I believe that if you maintain architecture well, in time, it gains a patina that is actually very marketable and enhances neighborhoods. St. George is actually a pretty lively, mixed neighborhood where you have students and people. some of the residents of these buildings built in the 50s have been here since the very beginning. So you have all this wonderful mix 
Uh, and some of, a few of the buildings have been, been better maintained than others. And uh, they seem to be the ones where, you know, I'd want to live. Mm-hmm. Well, like the, well, this building we're in, for example, 206, probably a fairly nice looking building in 1954 when it was first built. has not held up that well over the years. Uh, it's probably not going to look that great uh, when this is done just because of the way the original wall was set up and just it's a hard thing to replace and retain the, the any, exterior any, any wall kind of we're exterior, talking about, right? Yeah, the the exterior front wall. panels. Yes. So, could, so in, in driving up the street, um, it's going to suddenly look very different. It's going to look different to people. It's going to have it. It's going to change the streetscape. It's going to change the architecture of the building. Should why should why should the average person care about that? Forget about finance. Forget about because in the long run we're trying to build Paris, aren't we? Uh, you know, in the long run, if you if uh, I look at some of the buildings that we saw today, like Thirty Five Walmer, they are looking very very shabby, and yet at one time they did not. And they were probably more marketable when they did not. So then my argument basically is if you maintain things well and respect the original or do a really great job in transforming them, I think you'll end up with a better result. Uh, that's a very philosophical question. And you. What can we do when so many of the landlords just aren't concerned? I, I remember with the 44 Walmart, I think you called or wrote to the landlord at that time, probably for your annex cleaner city building column, and you tried to talk to him, and he was very hostile. And he just said, right. "I don't, I don't like the uh, Miami yeah. style. I just, I'm just not going to do it. I don't want to." Right. He didn't care. Well, it comes down to this person. The, the two things that make these these bad renovations happen is that either they don't care, or they've got some bug that they're chasing themselves. Now, I don't know how you you deal with. I mean, you can't regulate that. I mean, it's his taste. It's his, if it's his property. But what you can do is say, write an essay and say, "Hey, look at this this beautiful Uno Pre. He was the Toronto's, you know." He did the weirdest apartment buildings in Toronto, and, and well, Uno is a very, a very important architect. He's, he's he's a very important architect. He's an architect. A lot of even just average people know. Um, should the city and province maybe be doing something to prevent this from happening okay. in the future? Well, see, I always say I come at this very gently, right? I, I I don't like to sort of twist people's arms myself. These in Canada, there's not much of a culture to preserve these things. There's more of it in the United States, where. I think that's it's linked to, to something to do with patriotism or some deep sort of gene that Americans like will want the center of Philadelphia to look sort of gorgeous and there's this there's the Constitution House and here we're much more as probably Torontonians will know we're kind of down on things and we don't really appreciate the glories that we've created. They should do it through incentives. And what I mean by that is something like the American system where the Secretary of the Interior, who is an important member of the President's Cabinet, has a, a document called his Standards. And they list, uh, they basically put out a code and saying that important American buildings, and they could be anything from a chicken coop, right, to the rifle, not, not, to the Washington Monument. I mean, they could be anything. They don't have to be big and important looking. If you renovate these to standards, high standards, you'll get a tax break. And so a lot of American developers seize upon this to seek out historic buildings. Uh, here, it's more of moral suasion, writing essays that seem to have a lot of readers, but uh, the, the guy who has capital and purchases 44 Walmer Road to him, it's all new. It doesn't mean anything. 
and he just wants to get his you know, to get the job done and by the way he has his own taste and that's how he's going to apply he's going to take his own taste that's how he's going to solve the problem of the railing hmm. well i hope you keep writing because it sounds like there's a lot of work to be done still and a lot of people's minds to change uh we may have to revisit this in another 16 years because it uh, sounds like there's still a lot of work to be done you can read alfred holden's this fabulous place essay on tallowcreekmag.com it's currently on the home page if you'd like to find it easier Alfred, thanks for coming in. Hopefully we can do this again on a different topic sometime. Been fun. Thanks again.